Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I'm really looking forward to today. I'm looking forward to a conversation about the connection that we have between consciousness and almost everything else, ecological, social, political, and spiritual. Our guest is amazing. You know, Sting, yeah, Sting says that this new book that I'm holding in my hand gives us the context we need to understand the chaos and turbulence of our times. Russell Brand calls it a blueprint for the future. And my mentor, Charles Eisenstein, says it pushes the climate change conversation well beyond its usual edges, and it does that. But how can a book covering everything from energy and agriculture to culture, politics, media, and ideology, how can it ultimately be about the nature of our soul? I hope you wait around for the answer of that question because it's going to be a fascinating conversation. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Daniel Pinchbeck is the founder of the Think Tank Center for Planetary Culture, which produced the Regenerative Society Wiki. His essays and articles have been featured in the New York Times Magazine, Esquire, Rolling Stone, and Artform, among so many others. He's the star of the documentary 2012, A Time for Change, and a New York Times bestselling author. And now he has this new book, among many, that he's written, How Soon Is Now, coming out next month. Welcome, Daniel. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. And and I really appreciate you being with us today, talking about this book. And I know you you have a cold, so it's not an optimal way to spend your time. You should be sipping on, on tea and, and bundled up tight. So I really appreciate having you here because this word, this book, this information is so important for us to get out now. And I really appreciate hearing more about it. Oh, cool. So glad you found it uh, interesting. Yeah, it is. It is, it is. And I do have a first traditional question that I like to ask on our show, Daniel. So I'm going to start with that before we dig into how soon is now by asking you if you can share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Uh, well, it's a, it's a cute uh, play on all things considered, I, I would expect. I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I guess... You know, we know that everything is connected, so I think it highlights that. Well, thank you. You know, I I have been asking that since the show's inception, and now with with so many amazing new discoveries in science and technology and and cosmology, it's like um, we don't even have to even ponder it anymore. It's like, yeah, it's a done deal. So thanks for answering it with that, because it's fun to, to review all this time of the new technologies, new understanding, new philosophy, new belief. And your book talks about all of it. Um, 
and this connection that we're having to this global crisis that we have. So, Daniel, let's begin by just um, kind of setting the stage for our listeners, because um, you've been an author, you've wrote some amazing books, you have created some amazing initiatives, bringing people together, having these conversations. And I'm, I'm just curious, why this book? Who is Daniel Pinchbeck? And why this book, How Soon Is Now? Um, well, that's a, that's a big question. It's, it's like <laughs> a gigantic question, really. Um, well, I mean, I guess um, I was born in New York and raised here. My parents were kind of artists and writers. My mother, uh, my dad was an abstract painter. My mother was part of the Beat Generation. She was actually involved with the writer on, uh, Jack Kerouac, who wrote On the Road back in the 50s. Um, so I shared from them a very deep interest in counterculture, self-expression, creativity, and art. Uh, I worked in magazines as a journalist. I had a kind of existential crisis in my late 20s. Uh, and I think I never really personally felt very, like I felt that there were some, you know, deep, deep issues and problems with our, you know, mainstream culture and society uh, that kept us, you know, yeah, I guess, artificially alienated and separated and disconnected politically and socially and ecologically. And then also I'd, I'd grown up as a scientific materialist, so my worldview was that consciousness was only brain-based. And so, you know, in a way life was kind of empty and meaningless because after we died, that was kind of the end of, of everything we could experience. And it would just be kind of a, yeah, kind of, and, and, I, and I began to realize that there was a kind of nihilism that was, that was underlying the culture. And then I, but I began to question, how did I actually know that the scientific materialist worldview that consciousness was only based in the brain could, was actually accurate? And I remembered that I'd had these powerful psychedelic experiences back in college with LSD and mushrooms. So I began to get interested in them again and decided to make an investigation of that. Uh, that was back in the late 90s, and I just learned about ayahuasca, which has become a very powerful or popular uh, you know, kind of thing over the last few years. Ayahuasca is an Amazonian uh, brew. It's two plants that are brewed together that produce a visionary effect. I went to West Africa. I went down to the Amazon. I went to West Africa to do an initiation, taking a substance called Iboga. Uh, and my worldview over time shifted. I had a lot of psychic experience and, and shamanic, mystical experiences. So I exited that scientific materialist worldview, and I began to realize that shamans and uh, mystics and occult people were actually telling the truth about a lot of what they said, and uh, the, the simplistic materialist worldview was negating uh, a lot of information. That led me to think more seriously about indigenous knowledge and, and their ideas, particularly around this being kind of a prophetic cycle of time, uh, transition or transformation from, from you know one world or one dimension to the next. So I wrote a second book called 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, where I was looking at ideas from cultures like the classical Maya, the Hopi, and correlating them with Hindu culture and uh, the Western Judeo-Christian, the idea of the apocalypse and so on. And that was like a five-year exploration or discovery process that led to the second book, 2012, which um, you know talked about all sorts of edgy phenomena like crop circles and aliens and psychic phenomena and so on. And basically, yeah, I guess I argued that these indigenous cultures knew something about the nature of reality that we'd forfeited, that we had to take them more seriously. 
But I, I then became, you know, understanding that these cultures, you know, like the Hopi, talk about there being like a change in the world or a transition of the fourth world to the fifth world. I began to wonder what that meant sort of more in terms of like systems, like materially and politically and economically and socially. And so that led me on the path to writing this book, which actually I've, I've been trying to do in different forms for like nine or ten years. It's been about ten years since my last real book. So um, I had to learn a lot of things about you know, political economics and political theory and social theory and uh, technology and so on that I didn't know. And so this book is a very compressed, hopefully easy to read, digest of kind of my, my thoughts and my findings over the last decade. Uh, and it proposes that, uh, yeah, we are in a systemic crisis. We're coming to an end of a certain type of system. But, you know, we, we can actually uh, get excited and inspired by that because, you know, we could, we could see the, for instance, the ecological crisis that we're facing as a wake-up call or as a rite of initiation, a rite of passage that could force us to make a leap to another, another approach to the, to, to the world and uh, another approach to our society and so on. Mm. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to give us that history of you because I do think it's important. As I read the book, it is an, a, an amazing, condensed, comprehensive vision here and reality of what's going on. But it's also, um, it is easy to read. So thank you for that. But your you know, hearing your worldviews, I think, for our listeners today is really important because you you did come from one worldview and open to another, which really invites us all to really look at what do we believe and how do we experience this world? And I think it's it's fascinating. I also really appreciate your work with psychedelics and, and all of that exploration into the edgy material that you talk about because you bring that into the book too from your history and your perspective. But then really take us down a path and um, and I and I want to bring the soul in in a second, but you do make some um, claims some you create a, a way of thinking for the reader to look at things a little differently and there you know right now on the planet there's so many conversations about sustainability and culture our, our climate change and these things one of the things that you do that I, I, I just want to start here with is you talk about the difference between sustainable, and regenerative and you know sustainability has become this buzzword and we're all talking about sustainable but I love how you dig deep into that and really challenge us as an advocate of regenerative can you talk about this why not sustainable why why do we need to talk about regenerative yeah well I mean you know quite simply I think you know nature doesn't really sustain isn't about you know sustaining sustaining is kind of like being on a life support or like an iron lung or some lung or something and just like trying to maintain things as they were but nature is actually in a continual process of like you know replenishment and flourishing and thriving and transformation you know so so you know it seems, yeah it seems like you know and and sometimes terminology has an impact uh you know on how we think about things so i think that the sustainable uh, model the idea is that we're going to sustain the current system or you know sustain the way things are, and I, I don't think that's really what we can do. It, it would be more about uh, making a transition to a system that was truly regenerative, that uh, 
supported uh, ecosystemic health and so on. Yeah. And you also, so you bring in not just the regenerative as far as, as our environment, but you you talk about the complete transformation of our society of really moving from a consumer society to a regenerative society and help our listeners if they're not listening if they're not used to that language um, what might that mean what what is the difference between a consumer society because I love how you're challenging us to change everything to take huge risks here well yeah I mean you know we have to understand that you know what we're in now is the outcome you know of, of a you know, relatively short historical process, you know, several hundred years or whatever. And, um, you know, if you go to, you know, tribal people, uh, visit them, as I, you know, as I have done some of, you know, you don't, there's not really that emphasis on like personal acquisition or personal consumption. A lot of those cultures don't even really have a concept of, of private ownership so much. I mean, you know, you may have some things that you that you use that you're yours. You have a you know you have a house that's shared with your community or so on. But this focus on you know capital, private ownership, acquisition is kind of a you know it's a modern phenomenon. And I think we're seeing, you know, with uh, you know the the Trump the Trump victory, kind of the apotheosis of uh, like the final kind of expression of of, of a you know society that's based on greed and consumerism. Uh, and, you know, may, maybe that is like a shadow projection that everybody now needs to look at and realize that that's really not, uh, you know, the basis of, of, of uh, you know, being human. Uh, and, um, yeah, so, so my, my, I guess, although it's hard for most people to comprehend, I do feel that we're at the, we, we, one way or the other, we're at the end of this form of uh, hyper-consumerist, hyper-individualistic system. And either we awaken to the fact that it needs to shift into something that's more based on cooperation and sharing and altruism and then actually build the tools to make that shift, or I don't think that we're going to be here as a species for very much longer. Mm, yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of messages out there for us. What, do, what, in your opinion, makes this book different than what we've seen out there? Um. Well, I think I think you know there's a lot of books on the ecological crisis, like you know Bill McKibben's or Naomi Klein's, but they don't they don't really incorporate kind of this sh- like shamanic or consciousness or mystical kind of element, which which for me like this you know we're we're not just in a material crisis, we're ultimately in like a spiritual crisis, and we need to you know, understand it in, in that sense. Uh, and I think also it's rare for a book to to integrate so many fields of inquiry. Uh, you know, so like not only am I, you know, so basically, you know, and I guess in a way I'm a, I'm a sort of a systems thinker, uh, you know, kind of maybe in the, you know, maybe one of my great heroes is like Buckminster Fuller and so on. So for me, like I tried to come up with a systemic model uh, that, that encompasses kind of like the three main arenas that we need to address are kind of technical infrastructure, things like energy and industry and agriculture, uh, and then we need to address our political and economic system, which is the government and banking and, and money, you know, how, how we exchange value, you know, how corporations are built on, you know, prior, you know kind of uh, shareholder value and profit and so on. And then also, you know, kind of underlying that or connected to that is our, our state of consciousness, our beliefs and our values and so on, which are often very influenced by 
uh, you know, media, for instance. You know, so, so, I, so those are the, those, I think if we, have, if we understand those are the three areas that we need to change, then we can look at each of those areas individually and figure out how we would kind of re- redesign them, you know, kind of, kind of to, to, to create a new operating system that, you know, would allow us and our descendants to flourish for, for a long time, rather than, I think it's obvious that what we're doing now is a very short-term uh, problem, you know, circumstance. Yeah. Thank you for that. I I really appreciate how you broke it down and you have those three areas and you're really clear and, um, you know, like Russell Brand says, it's a blueprint for our future. There is many um, small steps here, but I want to I want to bring this in because I love your Burning Man story and um, and I'll, I'll let you share that with the audience if you want to. But I have some friends who are on the planet right now, like doing the same thing. They are ready to um, lock themselves in a room together or in a resort together, if you want to put it like that, live for nine months, figure out the one solution, the blueprint, the new operating system. And, you know, I just, I listen to what they're doing and I'm thinking about this whole systems change. And is it going to come from, from one place or is it that all of these different people in different cultures are waking all around our planet? So I'm curious, um, again, I appreciate your Burning Man story, but what did you learn from your efforts and you know when we're talking about creating whole systems change, what can what can you teach others? Is it going to be one system that we all transform to, or you, do you see pieces of it revealing that's them itself and emerging around the planet as we begin to weave something brand new? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a big question. I mean. Um... I don't think anybody, you know, I think I can say exactly what shape it's going to take. I mean, it's probably, um, you know, some of, some of both of those things. I mean, there's going to be, you know, some, I mean, there are already a lot of movements and efforts, but I think uh, over the next years, they're going to become much more pronounced and hopefully they will all like synergize with each other. Uh, I mean, I do feel that uh, there's a missing piece of the puzzle, which was even made more apparent by the recent election. Uh, which is kind of like the part that a uh, different type of social network might play in, uh, you know, kind of supporting people in transitioning and sharing their resources and, uh, you know, developing communities based on trust, uh, relocalizing, creating like participatory democratic structures. I, I think there's a lot that the uh, that, uh, that an Internet platform could could help people to, to do and to learn about. Hmm. Speak more about that, because I know you have created um, a, a couple different platforms here. I mentioned one in the um, in the introduction. I think there's another one um, called is it woke? And you know you're you're creating you're creating a lot of solutions based support. I feel for a lot of different evolutionaries on the planet, and so you have this new social network called Woke. What is that about? And how would that support our collective awakening and transition? At this point, Woke is just kind of like uh, in a a nascent stage. But I had a different company called Evolver uh, a few years back, which was was organizing kind of local groups and meetups and so on. Uh, I mean, I'm collaborating with some TV professionals 
And yeah, our idea would be to do kind of solution-oriented uh, programming that, um, you know, once again, kind of incorporated ecology and, and, and consciousness and so on. Uh, we we yeah, really strongly feel that there needs to be a big, uh, another big presence in the media landscape. Mm. Well, thank you for that. I, I agree. And I personally am invested in that as well. And so I, I love hearing you say that and um, really support that. So good good for you and, and whoever else is, is really working on those new initiatives. So, so here we are. Your book comes out in February. People are, I hope many of our listeners pick it up again, how soon is now. And it, it takes us on this really concrete and specific journey of what we know is happening, but then it also challenges us to look at our lives different. And you mentioned the spiritual crisis, and that is one of the pieces that I think does make it really unique, a unique voice. You say that on a subconscious level, maybe we've willed this crisis into being. What does that mean? Um, yeah, well, I mean, we've known for a long time that if we kept, you know, not dealing with the ecological situation, it would become extremely bad. Uh, I think there's new things that we've learned, which actually are much even more um, threatening than what people knew a few decades ago. But, um, I mean, I, I, in a way, I, as, I, as, I, as I mentioned before, this idea of initiation um, and you know, some ideas from a figure called Walter Benjamin, who wrote about how um, you know, he believed that humans needed periodically to have these kind of ecstatic contacts with the cosmos. And either this could happen through kind of like collective ritual that was intentionally designed to kind of uh, perform that function, you know, which is what we find in a lot of uh, indigenous cultures, uh, or it would happen unconsciously through something destructive like a war. So he thought like the First mm -hmm. World War, for instance, was like a uh, you know, humanity thwarted in its need to have an ecstatic uh, communion with the cosmos that it turned destructive, you know, rather than, uh, rather than uh, positive. So, yeah, so, so there's an importance for people to go on their own initiatory journeys and then bring that knowledge back also into the collective. I love that, the aesthetic communion with the cosmos. Yes, and you also talk, Daniel, about rebellion. Um, rebellion a world of rebellion or a world of the sacred and, and bring that in. Can you talk about what we've done historically as rebellion? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I guess one touchstone in the book is the work of Albert Camus, uh, particularly his book, The Rebel. And um, Camus said that really there were only two places for kind of like, you know, the, the human mind to, you know, to, 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 to kind of states or whatever. And one is rebellion and one is the other is the sacred. And so that either you're in a phase of rebellion where you're rebelling against anything being sacred, or ultimately you have to turn around and say, okay, it is, there, there is a sacred core, you know. And our society has very much been in rebellion against uh, the sacred. Um, and, yeah, maybe, maybe we can come to the end of that. You know, maybe we can recognize that uh, we do have a mission and, and purpose here uh, to be kind of stewards of the planetary ecology, and to you know, take care of our human family as a whole, not really getting so caught up in these uh, questions around, you know, race or nationality. Those are very like superficial. 
uh, on another level, we're all just parts of a living biosphere uh, and um, highly interdependent. Mm. Yeah. You know, you, you've quoted a lot of different people in the book and have brought together, you know, a, a plethora of really important information and, and thinking on our planet, which is nice. And I have, I have quoted you already on social media. There's so many really good quotes. I think I'll read a few after break. We're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Daniel Pinchbeck about his new upcoming book out really soon in the next few weeks. How soon is now? We will be right back. a day in the new empower radio app music to empower your meditation help you relax sleep or provide a calm background while you work the empower meditation channel is interruption free listen now with the empower radio app free in the app store or listen online at empower.fm soothe your soul calm your mind the empower meditation channel this is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, but it takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids earlier, their chances are better. And kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor. Because when a child succeeds, we all succeed. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way, the Ad Council, and the National Football League. You're struggling with your mortgage. You think about it. You don't do anything but think about it. What are we going to do if we lose the house? Where are we going to go? At work. I can't let anybody find out. I'm so embarrassed. At dinner. How can I tell the kids? It's going to wreck their lives. And at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get through this. What's going to happen to us? It's time to stop thinking. It's time to start dialing. Call 1-888-995-HOPE for a free government program that offers expert one-on-one advice about your mortgage options. I'm all alone. No, you're not. We've helped over a million homeowners, and we want to help you. And now there are more ways to help. Call 1-888-995-HOPE or 
visit makinghomeaffordable.gov. Brought to you by... It's me, your heart. High blood pressure is serious. And if you think I'm just going to keep ticking away, you're wrong. I can quit whenever I want, but I like my job. Just treat me better. Maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. After all, we're in this together. Don't let your heart quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Positive Radio for a better life. Thank you for listening to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe just listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected, where we continue the conversation. You can find so much more about Daniel, his upcoming tour schedule, about the book, and all of his other links that we've been talking about, some of these projects he's working on, at howsoonisnow.info. Again, that's howsoonisnow.info. And Daniel, thank you for sharing all of this. I, Like I mentioned, I, I've already put different quotes on social media, talking about the arts, talking about consciousness and the evolution of consciousness and, and leadership and vision. And there's so many really good quotes. I'm a quote junkie in this book. And I want to just read this because I think it sets the stage for this, um, the conversation in our next half. It says, we can leverage the ecological mega crisis as an opportunity to make a mutational leap, a metamorphosis into a new conditional being. By undergoing this initiation, like you mentioned earlier, we learn to consciously direct our own evolution and transform our relationships to the earth. We master our projections of technologies, beliefs, narratives, memes, and ideologies. And I think, it's, to me, this like summarizes a lot of what this book is really about and the potential we have. And I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more about this evolution of consciousness um, and our relationship to the earth. Because really, without shifting our consciousness and really understanding, like you mentioned with the indigenous and others, understanding our relationship to all that is, can we make that mutational leap? Um, let's see. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, it's such a big question that it's hard for me to... Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Your question is, what do I mean by the evolution of consciousness? Yeah, let's talk about the evolution of consciousness. Many of our listeners, um, you know, are very aware of what's going on with consciousness on our planet. And yet here we are with a big piece of mass consciousness going through turmoil in 2017 with these elections, what's been going on in, in Europe and other places. And, and how do we deal with this mass consciousness? And what is it going to take to wake us to this opportunity um, that we're talking about with this, this new conditional way of being that, that can leap forward? Um, <coughs> well, I think like, um, you know, 
we have to reckon uh, with the fact that um, although there's been tremendous you know, progress in certain areas over the last centuries, uh, the civilization that we've created is also uh, very destructive. And um, we, we, most of us are, you know, somehow or other um, perpetuating, you know, that, 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 that destructiveness. I mean, I am too. So it's not about pointing fingers of blame. You know, so for instance, if you have money in a big bank like Chase or whatever, you know, you're supporting, uh, you know, things like the, uh, the Dakota Pipeline, you know. If you're eating meat, uh, you know, you're supporting, uh, you know, factory farming and deforestation. Um, You know, if you're driving a car uh, a lot or taking a lot of planes, you know, you're contributing a lot to CO2 emissions. So, you know, I guess for me, like the next level of this evolution of consciousness is going to involve a certain level of, 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 of understanding that, you know, we, we, we have to, we, particularly those of us who are in the, you know, the developed world, the first world, whatever you want to call it, you know, we're going to have to accept a period of uh, service and sacrifice. Uh, and uh, because if we keep behaving as we've been behaving, there won't be anything left, you know, for, for anybody else, particularly for our children and grandchildren. So it's even, even if you have a sense of self-interest, even if you believe in future incarnations and you're going to you know, be back on this planet in some form, uh, you know, we, we, there's all sorts of reasons that we need to really address this emergency right now. And that if you look historically, it actually turns out that periods of disaster or periods of crisis where people were forced to make sacrifices uh, often were times when people after the fact felt incredibly good about themselves and even remembered them at the best, as the best times of their lives. And there, there it's once again because we're trapped in this, this delusive artificial system that, that, that values the wrong things, you know, like, you know, acquisitions or career or rather than, you know, love, community, multi-generational connections and so on. So if, if we were forced, you know, or either if we're forced by external circumstances or if we just choose to simplify uh, our lives and focus on those things that actually create meaning and happiness, uh, we might actually need a lot less of uh, the artificial stuff. Uh, you know, whether it's the need to go to, you know, Cancun for a vacation or buy an extra handbag or, you know, upgrade your car or even have a car. Uh, so, for, so for me, like this whole consciousness movement now, now has to move into a, a very much, a much more pragmatic and forceful kind of engagement uh, with society. And unfortunately, I feel that a lot of the new age spiritual movement has been very much about making people feel good. It has a sort of, has a, sort of a passive quality to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, some, some would say that it's even become a kind of way to justify, uh, you know, perpetuating our, our lives in a system that's so uh, destructive, you know. Um, yeah, so, 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 you know, so for instance, if you have mindfulness, you know, like it, it, corporations are teaching, you know, their people mindfulness because it allows them to be better, you know, workers, you know, to handle stress better which is great, but we need to be thinking also about, you know, what these corporations are, are perpetuating, you know, every day and, and what kind of energy they're using and what kind of materials are going into their products and so on. So, for, yeah, for me, like the next level of, you know, this consciousness evolution has to be with this direct engagement with, uh, 
you know, what we're doing to, to our planet. Yeah, I appreciate that. And just even acknowledging this pragmatic and forceful engagement and moving forward, you talk about that the leaders here, uh, the most advanced and aware among us need to lead by example, taking risks and pointing us forward. And so I'm wondering what you see as some of those risks are, because like you mentioned, the the corporations are teaching mindfulness just to benefit their bottom line and and people are you know chanting and in spiritual practice and then still collecting a lot of things and climbing a corporate ladder what are the risks now that us the the leaders who are awake how do we lead by example what are some of those risks and really how do we not get on an airplane how do we, you know, how do we, you know, there's a lot of really practical solutions in there and pragmatic solutions, but what does that really mean? Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, first of all, the risks are about to get a lot riskier. We don't actually know what's going to happen with this uh, new election. Yeah. Uh, there are definitely, you know, signs that it could be, you know, something akin to uh, despotism or uh, neo-fascism or something. So and in those types of periods, there's a big chill uh, you know, that, that, that scares people away from speaking out or, uh, you know, so, so, you know, we have a lot to be concerned about uh, right now. Uh, but, but, but exactly those are the, you know, if millions of people put their foot down and, and won't go along with an agenda, uh, you know, it become, rather than just, you know, a few, it becomes impossible for that agenda to, to be advanced. Um, so... You know, and people are going to be looking for those to those who have, uh, you know, audiences and communities to kind of like or, or or media media properties to kind of like set the tone and 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 and, and uh, you know and so on. Um, you know, it, it's 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 very complicated. I mean, you know, it's also the fact is that what's happened. It turned out that this this extreme right wing movement. That's uh, you know has a tendency towards bigotry and misogyny and, and white supremacy and so on. You know they, they've been very very uh, strategic and cutting in using the current system. So you know they've been gerrymandering you know districts and they've been suppressing voters and you know not allowing like black men in, in Florida to vote if they were you know in prison and so on even if they served their time. You know, so you know we're we're kind of going to need to 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 rise up, you know, in particular in local instances in the in the millions of them uh, that uh, have happened, and also at the same time form some type of orchestrated movement uh, that that will somehow get us over this this very dangerous uh, threshold we're now facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel, you know those. A lot of our listeners are, are tuned into this and feeling the anxiety and the fear, and there's so much change happening all over our planet. But with this election, it, there's some there's some pretty big ramifications. So at the same time, we're talking about rising up and, and orchestrating movement. You bring up another important point in the book that I believe you say people need a vision of the future that is so inspiring they find the will and desire to sacrifice to attain it. And to me, that's a bottom line here too. It's like, this is what we need. The, the, without a vision, the people perish, right? So I'm wondering, here we have these two things. This 
really a lot of risks, a lot of chaos, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. How do we create that vision for our future? And I'm wondering if you have a vision for the future that that will help us begin to see this. Um, I love how you put it, that it's so inspiring that we find the will and desire to sacrifice to attain it. Well, I mean, I, you know, in, in the book, I tried to, as much as I could, put forth, you know, some of the, some of the aspects of what I would consider to be a, a positive vision. Um, I think a shift from kind of depersonalized, centralized control systems to, you know, participatory uh, democracy, like, you know, communities that are, uh, you know, really everyone's taking care of each other. Uh, you know, scaling back technology in some ways, but then in other ways, you know, there, there are many great things about it. I mean, uh, you know, we even have the potential that we might be able to extend, you know, the lifespan significantly at some point, you know, and, and that has pros and cons, of course, but, you know, I, I think most of us would, would, would be very interested in, uh, you know, having more time to develop our unique capacities and love the people that we love and so on. Uh, in the book, I kind of suggest that, you know, at a visionary level, there's two great frontiers, because I think humanity always needs, like, a frontier. And one frontier would be, you know, up and out, like, into space, as Elon Musk and other people are now talking about. Like, why not, you know, bring the living biosphere to other worlds? And, you know, maybe that's one reason why the planet evolved us. If there is a kind of Gaian uh, awareness or, or the Gaian being, you know, if, if the world is sort of like a, a giant living organism, Maybe we're meant to be the kind of spores that take the the uh, biosphere with us and bring it to other planets and seed them, you know. Uh, and then another domain or dimension is the down and in, you know, into, you know, into the realms of the psyche, uh, into these infinite dimensions of consciousness that, you know, you can discover through shamanism, through experiences like ayahuasca or DMT or psilocybin and through meditation and, and yoga and so on. So, yeah, I think that those are the two great frontiers for the future would be doubted in and, and up and out. Uh, but they're not really conceivable while, while the Earth is in such a shambles. So once again, I think the first thing is we have to see that we have an initiatory task and a moral responsibility to uh, focus on the task at hand and see if we can redesign our systems so that the entire human family benefits that's what Buckminster Fuller recognized in the 60s. He saw that uh, we had the technical ability to make the world work for everybody, but our ideologies and our political and social systems were obstructing that. And, and, of, and of course, behind that is a lot of greed and a lot of fear. Yeah, in the thank you for that, Daniel. You talk in the book when you were writing, you were just you have a, a map, a, a blueprint, a, a lot of solutions. And yet just reading through that, it might not give the people that vision that's inspiring. Like, um, you know, Barbara Marks Hubbard talks about um, when they were going to send a man up to the moon, the, the call and the vision was bring him back alive. And that one thing, everybody rallied behind it. Yes, we're going to send someone to the moon and bring them back alive. And one of the things that you do talk about in the book, when you're talking about these two frontiers, you also go on, like you mentioned, to talk about what would it be like if we had the time 
to really enjoy our life and love the people we love and and be in that place. And so somehow we need to create that emotional connectivity into the vision of all the change, the technological, the environmental, all these change and tap it back into this inspiring emotional quality. I'm wondering what some of those others would be because we really don't have time like you're talking about with these two frontiers if we have to rush in to make this huge systemic change how do we create the quality of life in the meantime the quality of life in the meantime but that's right yeah when we're talking when we're talking about this love and the the, you know time to enjoy our thing you know like we're we're talking about being strapped in this consumerism and and working really hard and then we have to here here's what i'm saying daniel is we have all these people on the planet who are so stressed with the life we've created anyway, and now they have to save the world and save the planet and make big changes. How do we infuse that inspiration now of that vision for the future? How do we how do we create that quality um, of a life where they can breathe and love freely and be liberated? And, and some of those um, really good good suggestions that you're talking about in the book. Um, well, I mean, you know, I guess what, what, what you know, what, what, I mean, uh, you know, they could obviously do practices like meditation, which maybe is what you're, you're pushing towards, but, 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 um, I mean, another aspect that's quite interesting is, you know, there, there's a lot of fear now around technological unemployment, uh, and this idea that robots are going to take people's jobs. Uh, and, and in fact, it was kind of, I think, comical, uh, in a way that uh, you know Trump has been pushing for this idea that we're going to have all these industrial jobs come back, when, when actually we we never will because the automation is rapidly increasing and now we have self-driving vehicles. I think there's three and a half million people drive trucks in the U.S. Um, and those people are going to be you know out of work soon because of these self-driving vehicles. So you know we can look at that as terrifying and what are we going to do with all these people? But but also we could think that maybe we actually are moving towards a post-capitalist kind of system where people don't, shouldn't really have to work, you know, or at least not so much. And instead of forcing people into meaningless jobs, they could be, you know, kind of uh, given a basic income. They could live in these regenerative, more like regenerative self-sufficient communities where they grow some of their own food, where there's multi-generational connections, where people have time to study and, and to learn and explore things and, and create and so on. So, um, you know, if, if we don't have to, you know, the, the, this whole idea of industrial society that we're supposed to keep working and working and working, that, that no longer makes any sense whatsoever. You know, so part of this vision is, is kind of for a post-work society, you know, where, where, where not just the rich people, but the average people really have their time liberated to uh, d- develop their unique uh, human capacities. Hmm. Very, very. See, now you're you're there where where I was talking about the question of of really getting to that quality of really understanding that the system that we created can be transcended. That we don't have to be on this, um, you know, crazy turning wheel that we can't get off of it at all that literally some of these solutions in this book and this roadmap that you create 
inherently bring the quality of life back in and get us to slow down and, and really appreciate the quality of, of our life, our relationships, our, our world, growing our own food and enjoying our neighbors, some of those kinds of things and, and get us out of that, just that concrete jail that we've created with this, with this world. So Daniel, as we bring this question to a, a, a close here on how soon is now <laughs> here we have this show we we have a few more minutes left and how soon is now what is this going to take and where are we going what's your vision as far as if we all really take personal responsibility here what is your hope how soon can we make this whole systems change well, I don't. I can't. I can't actually. I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, you know, there, it, it could be like, for instance, let's say, you know, uh, there was some type of crisis and a lot of our systems, you know, stopped functioning. Uh, I mean, you know, we could potentially through the internet, you know, develop a kind of new social and political infrastructure, uh, and it could happen very, very quickly. Uh, and you know, obviously, if we look at evolution, there's a pattern where crisis leads to mutation, you know, uh, crisis leads to innovation, uh, it for forces uh, development, you know, so, 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 so maybe it's going to emerge out of this sort of a pressure cooker that we're in. Uh, that seems likely to be, but I would say that within 10 or 15 years, we'll have to be in a very different situation. There you go. That 2020 vision and that 2030 vision, that 2040 vision that we're looking at, um, whole systems change. It's starting. It's now. I wonder if you could give us a message of hope because like myself, I know you've worked with a lot of visionary leaders and change makers around the planet who are working on solutions right now. You were talking about a new media that's looking at solutions. Um, we probably could list um, dozens and dozens, if not thousands of individuals and organizations on the planet who are working in every one of these areas that you've mentioned in the book. Give us a little bit of hope here. What do you see happening? Who, what's evolving and emerging in your, um, in your world right now toward, toward this solution that we're talking about? No, I mean, as you said, there are many, you know, incredible things happening. And I listed a lot of them, you know, in the book and discuss them, whether it's biomimicry or, or you know, self-sustainable, like, village units that people can assemble um, or, um, you, know, um, you know, water desalinization, you know, technical things. There's tools like uh, Democracy OS and Lumio and new currencies on the blockchain that suggest that we can innovate uh, new ways to exchange value and make decisions together. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, but beyond, I mean, I'm not like, it's funny, I, like, I always cringe a little bit at hope. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, we don't, I mean, hope is great, but, I, but actually, you know, life is already a continual miracle. I mean, just the fact that this is happening at all, if you think about the incredible, like, you know, improbability of it, you know, that, you know, carbon and hydrogen, you know, evolved into these, self-sentient life forms that, you know, were on this tiny rock circling this blazing inferno, you know, in a huge void and another huge void, you know, it was all spinning around each other. I mean, you know, it, it, I, you know I, I think that there are many reasons to believe that, 
you know, that somehow there is a, a higher consciousness or we're part of a greater consciousness that has constructed this incredible opportunity for us to, um, to learn and explore and, and grow and, and, and find our own, you know, uh, spiritual source and, and our initiation and so on. So, um, you know, I think it's, 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 it's really more than, there's more than hope. It's really more about understanding the miracle that already is. And, and then recognizing that you have the power to, you know, to, 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 to evolve evolution, to bring about transformation, you know, and, and, and by, by awakening yourself and the people around you. you know. Well, thank you. That, that one piece is um, one of the pieces that I think is really important in your book. And the message that comes through, Daniel, is that you talk about this from that spiritual perspective and it is more than hope it gives us meaning and when we look at it as initiation and that this crisis really is a part of our waking and growing on the planet and and all of that i think that that in itself is really important for our listeners to tune into and and for your readers to pick up this book because it you you do weave that piece throughout all the different pages and put it into perspective for us. So I appreciate that. Daniel, thank you for joining us today. I know, you know, this cold and this congestion probably has made it a challenge and I appreciate you, you know, taking the time to really share what, what is this beautiful emergence on these pages. So any last thing that you would love for our listeners to hear today? Um... No, I don't think so. I think we're good. All righty. Well, I know that um, as as you give us a cough, I I have compassion for you. I apologize that, um, yeah, all this congestions coming clear across. I'm just finishing mine. So thank you again for joining us. We've been talking with Daniel Pinchbeck, the author of the upcoming book out really, really soon. How soon is now? And you've been listening to the Dr. Julie show, all things connected. Thanks for tuning in with us today. And remember together, we're creating connections for the good of the whole until next time I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. 